You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. It's Olympics time, right? Any of you watching the Olympics? Turning it on? Tuning into it? Yeah, okay. Maybe half of you. I've been watching it through the news feeds like my USA Today app and some other mediums like that. But last night was the first night I was able to actually turn it on and watch some things. And I love the Olympics. Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, doesn't matter. They're always compelling and engaging to me. I always love to watch and, and hear the stories. But there's a story in particular with this year's Olympics that really is a defining moment story. We may, we may never see this happen again. And if you've been following the Olympics, it's been talked about a lot. And it's represented by this picture here. This is a picture of the Korean women's hockey team. And some of you might be thinking, if you're not aware of the context of this, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, here's the big deal. Since 1953, North Korea and South Korea have been in a state of war. When the Korean conflict ended in 1953, it was not a peace. It was an armistice. It was basically a ceasefire. But those countries have been on a war footing with one another since 1953. I've had a number of friends who have served in the armed forces over the years. A number of them have served on the Korean Peninsula. And I've had them tell me, you have no idea what it's like in the the demilitarized zone between the two countries. The tension is palatable. The balloon proverbially could go up at any time and war could start. It just, it constantly feels like that. We hear about it occasionally here in the Western media, but it's constant over there. So this year, as many of you know, the two Koreas decided to be a nation and represented at the Olympics to march into the stadium as one team. And as far as I understand, this is the only arena where they are truly joining forces and competing as a, as a unified team. So you have South Korean women's hockey players and North Korean hockey players, and it has captured the world's attention because two long-standing enemies are choosing to compete together and choosing to do something together, and it's absolutely unprecedented. New values, new priorities, really a new community. And as we look in these coming weeks at what the kingdom of God is about, what is the kingdom of God like, does that sound familiar to you? Enemies loving one another, being part of a new community? The reason this has captured the attention of the world is it is distinct. It just doesn't happen. But in the kingdom of God, it does happen and will happen. If you were with us last week when Sean preached his excellent sermon on the passage that precedes this, we walk through these realities of how we approach God. Well, we go to God and his word with questions. We go to God on his terms. We go to God just as we are, but we also go to God in community because the reality is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than just the forgiveness of your and my personal sins. The gospel of Jesus Christ is also about crossing over from death to life and entering into a brand new community. And in the Bible, we call this community the kingdom of God. And Jesus declared the kingdom of God is near and the kingdom of God is here. So what does it look like? How do we live it out? 
That's where we're going these next three weeks, starting with Luke chapter 6, verse 17. I will read this to you, to those of you who don't have a Bible. If you have a Bible, open to it, or um, if you can turn on your phone or whatever device you have that has Scripture, do that. And here we go. This is talking about Jesus. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Jesus declares five conditions of blessing, and then he declares five exact opposite conditions of warning and begins to give us a picture of the kingdom of God. So let's talk about the setting here. A number of you who know your Bibles, as you hear this, you're going, hmm, this sounds an awful lot like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and that's because it is. Now, scholars are divided in terms of trying to figure out what all this means, but as it says there, he went with them and stood on a level place. That means a level place. And this is often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Was this a different sermon than the Sermon on the Mount? Well, no, but it's a much more condensed version. And some scholars believe that Jesus in Matthew 5 is describing he went higher up the mountain and talked to his disciples in a smaller crowd. And when he came down the mountain, then he gave this sermon. We, we don't know if this was the same sermon, two different parts or two different sermons. There are parts of Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount that are scattered through the rest of Luke. We don't know, but this is what we do know. And that is who was there. There was a large group of Jews who were there But there was an even larger gathering of non-Jews there, Gentiles from Tyre and Sidon. So again, a number of scholars believe that Jesus condensed the Sermon on the Mount to the Sermon on the Plain because of his audience. There were a number of people there who were not Jewish. They didn't have familiarity with the law. They didn't have familiarity with, with the Old Testament realities. And so Jesus, in a sense, is cutting to the chase here in describing what the kingdom of God is all about. And did you see how he began. He talks about the poor. Now again, for those of you who remember Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. There he's talking about the relationally poor. But here in Luke, he is talking about the resource poor. As you think about this crowd, most of them were illiterate. The vast majority of the women, probably all of the women, they, they, they were illiterate. They, they, they had no education. And even more importantly, 
they subsisted day to day, hand to mouth, on what they could grow, what they could produce, what they could harvest. Oftentimes, they went hungry because there just wasn't enough food. You ever seen poverty like that? Ever been around or exposed to poverty like that? When I went to Bolivia some years ago, I knew that going there, Bolivia was one of the poorest nations in South America. I had never seen real poverty before. People with no access to even water, no access to basic sanitation, let alone have enough food to eat. It wrecked me, and it shook me to the core, and necessarily so, because that's how the vast majority of our world lives. And that is one of the many reasons why as long as you call Grace home for a long enough amount of time, we hope that you will be a part of one of our cross-cultural missions trips so that you can go see that type of reality because necessarily so, you begin to understand who Jesus is talking about here. These are folks with what we would say have nothing And he's saying, blessed are they? And by the way, just so we're on the same page, blessed means happy. You could substitute the word happy for this. And in the original language of the Old Testament and New, it carries this idea of a deep satisfaction, a deep, deep happiness. And Jesus has said, blessed are those who are poor and hungry. Well, it gets better. Look what he went on to say. Blessed are people who cry, who are hated, who are excluded, who are insulted, and who are rejected. Can you imagine standing in that crowd and hearing this? Can you imagine how you'd be responding to this? Jesus, did you preach the right sermon? Are you sure? Are you sure this is the right message? You sure you didn't get your notes confused or something? And because we are his followers, those of us who know him and have received him into our lives, this is applicable to us. And I read these words and I think, really? But wait, it gets even better. He goes on with these series of woes, and just so we're on the same page, a woe is a, is a warning. Really, this is a cry of deep pain and distress. This is a very sober, serious warning that he is giving. And who's he talking about here? The rich, the comfortable, the successful, They're recognized. Well, I hope they're listening. I hope Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and all the rich people are really paying attention to what he says here. But is that who he's really talking to? Are you rich? Am I? This is something in the distant past I've recommended to you, and I would encourage you just for perspective to take advantage of it. This is called the Global Rich List, and I understand a number of you can't read this from where you are, and that's okay. The first box says you need to select your country, and then the next box says you need to enter your annual income. Okay, fasten your seatbelts, okay? Here we go. If you make more than $13,500 per year, you are in the richest 10% of people in the world. Let that sink in for a minute. 
the poverty line for a family of four in our country is $23,000. Who's rich? Who's Jesus talking to here? Wealthy, comfortable, successful, recognized. This isn't for the Bill Gates. This is for us. This is, this is for me. Because the question we need to ask ourselves is what if those things went away? Would you or I lose our identity? Because the point here is those things do not define us and those things do not define the kingdom of God. Let's begin to look a little more critically at this. Woe to those of you who are well-fed. This is the idea of being satiated, satisfied, stuffed. Woe to those of you who laugh now. So this means God doesn't have a sense of humor? God's, God's against happiness? Well, of course not. Who invented humor? God did, right? This is not about having a good time. This idea of laugh now really is talking about gloating. This is someone who's not having fun, necessarily. This is someone who has just won. I just beat you. I just won the race. I just won the election. I owned you. I crushed you. You had no chance against me. This is the person who's successful. This is the person who goes on social media and blogs or posts or tweets and boasts about themselves. That's who Jesus is talking about here. And then he goes on to say, well, What about those who speak well of you? This is about those who are recognized as successful. Is it important to you what other people think of you? Do you care what people post about you? Tweet about you? Say about you? Think about you? If we're honest with ourselves, of of course we do to some degree. Gosh, we have two generations behind mine that greatly care what people on social media say about them. It is, it is their life. It is their, it is their medium. And I shared with you some weeks ago, one of the things I do battle with in my own life and in my own heart is people-pleasing. And so, man, this is people-pleasing candy. Of course, you know, we care about what people think of us. But what's the point here? None of those things are our identity when we enter into the kingdom of God and live out the kingdom of God. This is like cold water being poured on our face here. As a Jesus follower, you need to know which kingdom you're in. Because entering the kingdom of God starts with a defining moment in your life. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 in the New Testament says it this way, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the old broken kingdom, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, Jesus' kingdom, through redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what kingdom you're in? Because you enter this kingdom by choosing to trust and love and obey Jesus, and then your life is going to begin to change. 
That's what we're going to celebrate next week when we have baptisms. You're going to hear stories of people's lives who have been changed through Jesus. Love baptism Sundays. They're awesome. So is it wrong to have wealth, to have comfort, to have recognition, to be successful? What's Jesus really saying here? He's saying those things don't define us. He's saying instead of seeking those things at all costs, we need to be suspicious of those. Because here's the bottom line. You can have those things and you can miss the blessing of God. When I was in Bolivia, and some of you remember this story, I've told you about one of the host families that we had. And they, you know, were our our guides throughout the course of the week. And they had us over at the end of the two weeks. We were there for this huge feast in their home. I mean, it was all the food we could eat and more. And there was laughter and it was fun. And it it was so warm and gracious And we learned later that in order to extend that kind of hospitality to us, they sacrificed greatly. And for the rest of the week, the adults went down to one meal a day because they had spent the bulk of their money and resources on giving to us. And I watched them over the course of that week, and you never know that that was true. And to put it in the vernacular of what we're talking about here, you'd never know they were hungry. And they were. And I remember doing business with the Lord on the way home, on that long flight home, thinking, I want what they have. I want that joy. I want that, I want that vibrancy. And I remember the Lord telling me really clearly, you do. You can have that. You do have that because you have me. See, you're just missing it. Because the reality for us as Jesus followers, when we enter the kingdom, those things no longer have control of us. Power, comfort, success, recognition, those things no longer are our identity. They no longer define us. And I'll give you a practical example of what this looks like. Two people in my life. One lost their job some time ago. The corporation they were working for has always gone through a series of cuts and reductions in their workforce at certain times, and this person had survived a number of those. The next wave came, and and they were released, and they were let go. The next person recently lost their job, and in this case, their um, boss came into their office, and without disclosure, without any kind of reason, without any kind of warning, they just terminated them on the spot, said, you're done. Two people have lost their jobs. The first example doesn't know Jesus. The second one I just told you about does. The first one lost their identity when they lost their job. Now understand, for both of these people and for any one of us to lose your job, especially under those circumstances, disappointing, disheartening, maybe even some depression there, I mean, difficult to say the least. Fear, uncertainty, anxiety, true for both of them. However, one lost their identity when they lost their job. The other one still has it. They have hope. They would tell you they are blessed. And they have the same issues, same concerns that the other person has. And that may sound counterintuitive. How are they blessed? 
But this makes more sense than it seems. Let me put the question back to you. The times that you have grown the most in your relationship with Jesus, has that been when things have been easy and comfortable and good? Or has that been when things are difficult and hard and disappointing and painful? As I look at my own life, some of the greatest growth times in my life have been when things have not been good. And when I begin to think about what Jesus is saying here through that lens and through that reality, then all of a sudden this begins to make a little bit more sense. How can Jesus call people blessed who are hungry and lonely and grieving and struggling because there's a depth, there's a vibrancy, there's a fulfillment that you can have in Jesus despite your circumstances, in the face of your circumstances because your circumstances no longer define who you are. And that is amazing. Because did you see what Jesus said we are to expect? To be misunderstood, to be mistreated at times, and maligned. Simply because we choose to follow him. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear that today? But it is reality. It's not a question of if this is going to happen. If you follow Jesus, it is a question of when. This is going to happen. Why? If the kingdom of God is here, why? The kingdom of God is here, and yet it's not fully here. The kingdom of God is embedded in this other kingdom that is broken and desperately needs to be redeemed. And it's described this way in another part of the Bible, In 1 Peter, verses 1 through 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. Catch this. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And this really captured me earlier this week and kind of sunk in for me on a run with my wife, Jamie. Many of you know that I hate running and I do it anyway. And Jamie and I run usually every day at least four or five days a week. And because of the weather and the way things have been this last week, when we've gotten up to run early in the mornings, we've gotten up at the dawn and it's just been beautiful. We've seen some amazing sunrises. Usually it's rainy and cloudy and you don't get that. It's been an unbelievable week for for sunrises. And a number of times this week we've gotten up and it's been dark and yet it's been light. And that is a picture of of what Jesus is describing here with the kingdom of God and the kingdom that is still broken around us. It's like the dawn. There's light there, but there's also darkness. And that's why these things happen. But what does this practically mean for how we live our lives? Do you realize how empowering this is? It means that we bring the kingdom of God through faith, hope, and justice. Think about this with me for a minute. If power no longer controls us, if what other people think no longer controls us, if being successful no longer controls us, then when we see brokenness as Jesus followers, we do something about it because that's what God does. Therefore, when something is wrong, we stand up and say, this is wrong, and we do something about it. When there's a need that we can meet, we fulfill it. 
Back to the example of my friend who lost their job, who's the Jesus follower, you know, processing through all this stuff, but at the end of the day, he was wrongfully terminated. I haven't told you all the circumstances, but he was, and so he is going back to his company saying, this is not right. That is exactly the right thing to do because that's what Jesus followers do. They stand for justice. And it's profoundly important that we do that because at the end of the day, there is more to this life than the here and now. We've saved the very best for last. Did you see what was embedded between this group of blessings and these group of warnings? This amazing passage in verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. God is going to reward faithfulness. What kind of rewards do you think God gives? You know, sometimes I'll be joking around with my friends and we'll say, oh yeah, that's another jewel in your crown, you know, someday when you get to heaven. And I've heard people, really? Really? The God who invented rewards, that's going to be the reward we're going to get? I personally think it's going to be way better than that. I'm going to run around with a little princess tiara with another, you know, jewel. No, seriously? I mean, the Bible talks about that in metaphor, but folks, think for a minute. How do you think God is going to reward those who have been faithful to him, those who love him, those who have trusted him, those who have obeyed him? It's going to be unbelievable. But there is a, a then piece to this, but there's a now piece to this as well. Yes, God is going to reward us someday for the life we've lived, and it absolutely matters how we live our lives, but he's going to reward us now. There's promise of blessing now, but there's also a warning here that we need to not speed past. A warning for you and for me. If you define your life by what you have, what's in your bank account, what's in your driveway, what's in your closet, where you live, what you do, the comfort you've worked so hard to protect and secure, the recognition that you have earned, if that's all you live for, Jesus' warning is this, this is as good as it is going to get for you. You better enjoy it. And by the way, even in the midst of your enjoying it, you're still settling for far less than for God's blessing. However, the promise here is also counterintuitive in that as broken as this world can be, as hard as this life can get, as disappointing as things can be, as painful, as difficult, as hard, this is as bad as it's going to get. The promise for you and me as Jesus followers is that it will get better. And if that wasn't enough, what Jesus is really declaring here about his kingdom is that this kingdom advances, progresses through hardship. It advances through difficulty. It advances through grief. It advances through pain. It even advances through death. Because you see, one of the things that I get to do as a shepherd, and it's one of the many reasons why I love being a pastor and being one of your pastors, is that when people come to the end of their life, I get to be there with them. And those are sacred moments. And there is someone who has called Grace home for a lot of years. They moved away 
but they're still connected here. They've asked me to do their memorial service, and so I've been talking to them on pretty much a weekly basis for some weeks now, and they're dying of three different kinds of cancer. And they're at the end of their life, and they know it. And they have not had an easy life. It has been a difficult life. And they would tell you they've had some incredible family difficulties and heartaches and pain. And yet at the end of their life, they have a clarity that they've never had before. And so they are taking care of unfinished business. And that's one of the things I get to do as a pastor is to be a part of mediating and brokering unfinished business. They're going to family members they have been estranged from, they've had difficulty from. Some of them, no communication for years and years, and they're doing their part to set things right. And there are times I feel like I truly am on holy ground, and I'm with someone who has one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. Because it matters how we live our lives and what we're living for. Do not miss the kingdom. Do not miss the blessing of God. Do not settle when you could have so much more, even when it feels like you have nothing. And so as our worship team comes, we are going to sing and proclaim that we want God's kingdom to come because he promises blessing with his kingdom and he promises blessing for us. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. Boy, this is such a gritty, down-to-earth, practical, real message of what life in your kingdom is is truly all about. Thank you that it's a life of blessing. Even when someone from the outside looking in might look at our life and say, boy, they have this against them. This is not going well. They have this hurt, this struggle. There's still blessing in trusting and obeying you in those circumstances and believing you for something more. So would we do that? And God, would you bring your kingdom? Let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.